Well, good morning. Good morning. Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you're here in person, welcome. Uh, if you're watching online, I know we have some people who are watching online this morning. Welcome to you also. Uh, if it is your very first time here, either here in person or online, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're thrilled that you chose to come and uh, spend a little bit of time with us here this morning to begin your week here, uh, worshiping, singing to God, and uh, now listening to, to his message. So we've got a great Great morning plans, and uh, we've been talking here at Connect about uh, this idea of, of a mixtape. It's summer, and we've been talking about the summer mixtape. Now, maybe, maybe this morning you're more of a, a Spotify playlist kind of person. You've got a, uh, a set of songs that you put in your playlist. Maybe uh, your generation, uh, you, you kind of relate, relate more to the, the CDs with the Sharpie written on the front. Maybe that's kind of your mixtape, or maybe you really can remember the mixtape. I mean, you had the mixtape. Yes, go cassette tapes. We've got a few cassette tape users here, or people who remember them at least, uh, here in the, the audience. The great thing about mixtapes is that they serve a purpose, don't they? You, you've got one that you might listen to that just is upbeat. You want to be in a good mood, so you put that one in the cassette deck. You hit play on Spotify, and it just is some upbeat music. Uh, maybe you're in the mood for some more romantic music. Maybe you're going to pick up a, a date, and you want to get the, the music just right in the car as you're driving to the restaurant. There could be some mellow songs. But I bet every one of you, who has a mixtape, has one that's just the oldies, okay? The classics, all right? The ones that, that take you back to a, uh, a bygone time. Now, I realize that for some of you this morning, the oldies were like 2015. I know that that's kind of aging me a little bit here, okay? But maybe your oldies were like the early 2000s, the 90s, or perhaps, perhaps oldies to you were the greatest decade of music ever, and that was the 80s. And this was uh, what my mixtape looked like, uh, bands like this. Look at them. I mean, it just does not get any better than that, right? I mean, that's, that's a solid mixtape right there. Now, they're all very English, British artists, so maybe here, if you were an 80s, 90s person, your mixtape here in the States looked more like this. Maybe you had some of these. Yeah, some people like, yeah, yeah, big hair, loud music. Yeah, um, and maybe maybe your mixtape looked something like this. Uh, if it did, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> there'll be a space here where people can pray for you after service. Uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll be here for you. So. But there was just something, isn't there, about having a playlist or a CD or a mixtape that takes you back to a time when life was just so simple. You don't remember the problems from back then. You just remember all the good feels that come from listening to those songs that you used to listen to when you were a teenager. And you put that mixtape in, you put that CD in, and it just makes you feel good. Because it was a time when life was good. It's nostalgic. It's like, I remember that time. And then we get older, don't we? And the reality of life creeps in. We start to get mortgage payments and college funds and our car breaks down and we're kind of caught up in the rat race. And, and now our life feels a little bit more like this. We feel like this guy here just kind of going through the motions every day. And we kind of forget what a wonderful gift life actually is. You see, I think we all want to believe this morning that life has purpose, that life has meaning, that life is special. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason many of us are here this morning in a church service 
is because we either believe that there is something greater to this life than just the physical existence we're a part of, or we're searching for it. We're hoping to find some answers this morning, that there's got to be more. There has to be some purpose, some meaning to this thing called life. Well, if you're thinking like that this morning, you're not alone. People have been asking these questions for hundreds, thousands of years. In fact, there's a great section in the Bible called the Psalms. They are the original mixtapes. They were written by these psalm writers, these poets, these songwriters, thousands of years ago, each one unique, each one with its own kind of theme. And many of these psalm writers tapped into this idea of, of the purpose and the meaning of life. You see, as I've been working on this series and this message, I've discovered that flowing throughout all the Psalms is this, this continual message that God is the author of life, that he has a wonderful plan and purpose for all of our lives, which is why I think when we read Psalms, we resonate with that. There's something that it builds hope and excitement, thinking, yes, I want to believe that life has meaning and purpose, that my life is special. Here's just a few verses that I pulled out this week from different Psalms talking about this subject of life. Psalm 104.30, when you give them your breath, life is created. The Psalm writer is talking to God saying, when you give us your breath, life is created and you, re you renew the face of the earth. Another Psalm writer was talking about King David. He said in Psalm 21.4, uh, he asked, King David asked you to preserve his life and you granted his request. The days of his life stretch on forever. David knew that my life hangs in your hands. Preserve my life. David himself wrote in Psalm 16, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. And listen to this, Psalm 36, 9, for you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. So much imagery and language talking about how God is the author of life and, and life isn't meant to be just mundane, hamster wheel kind of existence, but God has got a meaning and a purpose for our life. No more so do I think it jumps out than in a mixtape, Psalm 139, that Whitney a couple of weeks ago spoke on. And I love, I love Psalm 139, but listen to these couple of verses from the middle of Psalm 139 talking about life. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, before my life began, God, you were aware of me. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Maybe someone here this morning or someone watching online needs to, to hear those verses and be reminded that, this, that God knew you personally. You, individually, he thinks you're special. He, he's been aware of you since, since the beginning of your life. You're not just a name or a number. In God's eyes, you are incredibly special. I could go on and on quoting these verses, but believe me, through all 150 Psalms, this, this thread keeps going all the way through where God is talking about how precious life is. What a gift of life we have, that we should be thankful for a life that could disappear at any moment and that we should make the most of the life we've been given. 
You know, someone I think who really understood this, really understood the, the gift of life and really trying to use it as best as possible for God's glory and for God's kingdom was a man named Paul. You might be familiar with Paul. Paul was the author of um, a good deal of the New Testament. And Paul didn't always go by Paul. Paul used to be known as Saul. Saul was an enemy of God. He was out to arrest and persecute and kill Christians. And one day he had this encounter with Jesus that revolutionized his life, a 180 degree turn in his life. He went from being against Jesus to not just for Jesus, but proclaiming Jesus, building the church. His life was transformed radically. There are um, four books that tell us about the, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're, they're great to read, but immediately after them is a book called Acts, and Acts is what happened after Jesus left and the disciples started to build the church and continue his mission from then on, and we learn about Paul in Acts, and it's brilliant. If you read through the book of Acts, it's fascinating. It's kind of like a history book, and you learn all about Paul and how he became a follower of Jesus and where Jesus sent him to help plant the church, but it just kind of ends. We don't really get any kind a conclusion to the life of Paul. Uh, Acts just kind of comes to an end. So to really understand who Paul is, you have to read the letters that he wrote himself to other Christians, other churches. You get more of an insight into who Paul is. And I came across this. This is an amazing passage because he's writing a letter to Timothy. He wrote two letters. And in the second letter, the very closing part of that second letter to Timothy is Paul recognizing that he's reached the end of this life, this precious gift. And he's kind of summing it up saying, hey, if I could say anything, if I could have my final words, here is what I would say. 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8. As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. These are the words of a man who recognizes that he's, he's entering the final chapter of his life and he's saying, hey, everything has been poured out. I've given it my all. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. What a great manifesto for Paul to write to kind of close out his life. I mean, that's like a boom, mic drop moment. It's like, I've done it. I've finished. So to me, that would be a great place for Paul to end his letter to Timothy. Because it's a really good conclusion to, to what he's got out of his life. But it's really strange because it doesn't end there. Listen to how Paul continues as he's writing to Timothy. That was verse 8. Verse 9, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. It's like, seriously? Someone deems that this must make it into the Bible. God says, make sure that that coat that Paul forgot, that's God breathed. <laughs> The word of God. We mustn't ever, for thousands of years, people need to know that not only did Paul forget his coat, but that someone was going to bring it. It's like, how is this in there? 
Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Alexander the coppersmith, it's like the worst Yelp review ever. It's just lasted for thousands of years. Alexander's thinking, oh, I don't care. Say some bad things about me. People will forget in a couple of weeks. No, we're still talking about how bad Alexander the coppersmith is. Don't go to him, he's terrible. And then he closes out saying, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus, that's a great name, Eubulus sends you greetings and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Paul, that's what you wanna finish with? That's the closing, you know, these are the last words of your life when you want to make sure that we get to hear all that. Why is that in there? Paul, I'm no expert, but I would have thought that fought the fight, finished the race, they would have been a great phrase to end on. Wrap it up there. And I got thinking this week, I wonder why this kind of end closing greetings, these people that, let's be honest, some of us have never heard of until this morning. If you come up to me later and tell me about a sermon you heard preached once about Eubulus, I will get you a free coffee at the coffee bar before you leave, okay? Oh, I remember a great sermon just about Eubulus. So why does Paul mention all these people? See, I wonder, in thinking about life, and Paul's been talking about his life, in thinking about life, I wonder if God wants to make sure that these words remained in Scripture forever so that when we look at our purpose in life, that to quote a, a phrase I heard from a guy by the name of Louis Giglio, that we don't mistake visibility for value. That we, as followers of Jesus here this morning, or people pursuing Jesus, people looking for some meaning in life, that we don't mistake visibility for value. And here's what I mean by that. When we, when we look at our lives and the impacts they're having, especially as followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we can make the mistake of putting value on the visible. So we come to connect on a Sunday and we see the wonderful people leading worship. We see people up here speaking and, and we tend to think, well, in the kingdom of God, that, that's where the value lies. These are the people, these are the Pauls, the ones who are out there building the church, proclaiming the message. And, and we tend to put vi value in the area of visibility. And inversely, we tend to devalue our role. Well, I'm just this, or I'm not that. My life isn't like that. And I think that phrase is important, that we don't mistake visibility for value. In fact, I would venture to say, I would go on to say, it's not about visibility, it's about availability. It's not about visibility standing here on the platform, it's about availability. When you make yourself available for God to use you, wherever you find yourself, I really believe your life takes on a whole new meaning. You're no longer that hamster going around on the wheel, but you realize I have purpose. I'm part of a mission that God has set me on. He has a wonderful plan for all of our lives. That means God wants to use Paul and he wants to use Tychicus. He wants to use Nick who led worship this morning and he wants to use some of you in your environment. The only way we'll reach Washington and all the surrounding areas for Jesus is if all of us are available. 
It can't be just the folks who, who are up here on the stage or who are leading in this church, leading in the kids area. It's all of us saying, God, I wanna be available to serve you. I want my life to count for something in the area in which you've put me. I think another way we can discover the value in our lives uh, on top of that is when we make the decision to erase the secular and the spiritual divide. Erase the secular and the spiritual divide. Here's what I mean by that. I think we've made the mistake sometimes of thinking that God's work is done by those who are in ministry. Me, I'm just an engineer, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a salesman, I'm just an entrepreneur, I'm just a doctor, whatever you find yourself doing this morning. And we kind of build this divide between those who are working in the secular world and those who are working in the sacred world. And the sacreds, they're getting it done, but I'm just here in the secular. But what if we looked at our our lives through God's eyes and realize, you know, maybe God's got me where I'm at right now. He's got me here for a reason. In my neighborhood, in my workplace, maybe this is as much God's plan for my life as being the pastor of Connect Church is the plan for Dave Jane's life. God, what is it that I could do here for you when I make myself available? Because it's not about visibility, it's about value. It's about making myself available. This morning, we had a brilliant uh, worship time, and, and part of the reason it was so good is we had a lot of guests with us. There were some folks up here on the stage you may not have recognized, and uh, the reason they were here, we had people here this morning on our stage from Miami and Kansas and Chicago and some different musicians, and it's because uh, we have some connections here with an organization, a, a hair product, beauty product company called Monet, and they have a big event that's happening later in the year in Atlanta, and they chose Washington to be the place to come and connect church to be the place to come and prepare for that event. You're going to hear more about why they were preparing for it here shortly because the president of this um, global company uh, is also here this morning, loves Jesus, uh, has really, we were talking uh, earlier this week, has really kind of grabs that idea of dividing the secular and sacred and not seeing them as two different things. So I asked Stuart McMillan, the president of this company, if he would come and just share a little bit of his story uh, on this idea here this morning. Would you welcome Stuart as he comes up here this morning? Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah, I would say, um, and I had the, I had the, the fortune or the, the advantage to see Dave's notes prior to this, and uh, as I read through them, the thing that stood out to me, that jumped out to me the most in what I really want to dwell on today is be available. Um, when I was a young man, which I'm not right now anymore, um, I remember going through this, this, um, this angst, what's God's will for my life? What's God? I don't want to make a mistake. I want to know what God's will for my life is. And Dave, if you'd been around at that time, you could have just said be available. But Dave was off listening to some of those crazy bands at the time in the UK. Um, I had another mentor in my life, a, a man, a gentleman by the name of John Hamm. And when I was in my 20s, I remember him saying to me, it's character, not career. God cares about your character way more than he cares about your career. Now, to give you some, some context... I come from a family of preachers. Both my grandfathers on both sides were preachers. Um, my grandfather had four brothers, or three other brothers, four guys. All, three of them were all preachers. Um, one of them, the one who was named after the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth McMillan, 
He actually turned out to be an alcoholic and a drunk, so that kind of went, that backfired a little bit. Um, two, I had two cousins from that line, both preachers, and there was a point in my life where I thought, well, that's, what, that's where God wants me to be. As a matter of fact, my grandfather, who lived to be 103 years old, at his funeral, one of our old uncles, you know, came up to me, I, I think thinking he was saying something cool, but what he said to me was, you know, it's just a shame that your grandfather didn't get to see you go into full-time ministry. And, well, talk about making a young guy feel terrible at his grandfather's funeral. Um, when I was a young adult, I listened to um, a guy, I don't know if anybody's heard of him, he, he seems to have faded off, but his, his name was Keith Green. He had hair, Dave, but like some of the guys that you showed on the screen. But Keith Green sang a song that said, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money, I want your life. Now, before you all go tell Dave weeks from now that I said not to tithe anymore, that God doesn't need your money, God needs both, but if he was given a choice, he would choose your life over your money every day, and as they say here in Connect, twice on Sunday, right? Um, it's taken a long time for me as I get older, but God has finally showed me that that. I, I have given you the influence that I've given you, and every single one of us has influence. But he's saying, I've given you that influence so that because this is where I want you to minister. I want you to grow where I've planted you. Now, this company, Monate, as you said, it's a global company, and it wasn't at the beginning, but two or three or four years in, I realized this is my ministry. And, and we started right from the very beginning doing a, 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 an optional uh, church service after our, our leadership summits and after our big conference. And typically we get about 25% of the people who go to the conference actually come to the worship service. Now this has grown and grown and grown. I would say I think we're probably the only company in the world that has its own worship band. I mean, that's pretty cool actually. Uh, you know. But this year, this year our conference is in Atlanta and we'll probably have, you know, 15 to 16,000 people. So if you look at 25% of that, um, all of a sudden we went, holy smokes, there's going to be thousands of people. Maybe the worship band should practice. So, um, so that's why we're here. We're here in Peoria and we, had, we were supposed to have someone from Canada. We had people from California, like you said, Florida, all over, and, and this is central. And um, because we do this every year in September, Dave, if you're okay with it, we'll probably be back here every year. This is kind of our, our home base. I'm reading a book, rereading a book right now called Experiencing God. It's by a guy named Henry Blackaby. And in this um, book, Henry Blackaby reminds us to look for God, look where he's working, and join him. Um, God doesn't expect us to say to him, Hey, God, I've got a great idea. <laughs> you know, God doesn't need our ideas because he, he's, already, he's already in control. I have a granddaughter who's five years old. She says that all the time. I've got a great idea. It usually involves ice cream. Um, but really, God, God's got it all planned. What he wants to do is he wants to work with us. So my, my encouragement today would be do your job or go to school or whatever it is you do on a daily basis, but do it as though you're doing it for God. And approach whatever it is that you do 
is your ministry. That's what God expects. And I'll tell you, the fallout from that will be that you will inevitably be less likely to complain. And maybe more importantly, you'll be less likely to quit because you're doing it for God. And the positive is, I, I guarantee you'll probably find more ways to, to see an opportunity for service. Every single morning, I pray for two things in particular. I pray for a lot of things, but I pray for two things in particular. First of all, I pray for wisdom. Wisdom as a dad, wisdom as a husband, and wisdom as, as, the, um, as the president of money. Help me to make good decisions. But the second thing that I pray for is discipline. Because it's not enough to know what God wants us to do. We actually have to, the discipline to actually do what God wants us to do. And I would, so I would tell you this morning, if you're walking with the Lord and you're listening to him, and, and here's what I do when I'm looking to figure out where God wants me to be. I read, read the Bible, I pray, and I talk to others. I mean, I mean that God speaks to us through the people around us. And if you're doing that, if you're doing those three things, I guarantee you God will point to, to where your ministry is, and it is right where you are. We all have that opportunity. I end probably every speech and every uh, written communication at our company with keep shining and be a light. For me, it's kind of secret code. For me, that means show people Jesus. And showing people Jesus is sometimes tough. It means, you know, not flipping the bird to the person in the parking lot on your way out of church this morning, right? People are watching us all the time. It means when I get in a coffee line and I get anxious because patience is not my virtue, um, although I work at it, you know, not, not to lose my cool. We have in our company even a, a chat, a WhatsApp chat called Salt and Light, and it is made up of employees and distributors, and we all get in there and try to figure out ways to be points of light. So while my Uncle Gordy, um, the guy I talked about at the beginning, thought that my grandpa would be disappointed in the fact that I wasn't in full-time ministry. He's up in heaven now, Uncle Gordy, and I just want to tell you, I am in full-time ministry, and you can be too. Thank you. So, <laughs> I gotta miss, I'm just sat here, just beaming, just nodding as he's sharing this, because I believe this. I believe that God has got uh, a wonderful plan for all of our lives, wherever we find ourselves. And I know, as the lead pastor of a church who only works for three hours on a Sunday morning, I know that you're kind of looking, thinking, well, Dave, you're telling me, you know, serve God in my workplace. But if you knew my workplace, if you knew the situation, you know, it's easy for you to say that. You... So having somebody who leads an organization come up and share and say exactly what I believe to be true and who's doing it in his own life. And I just love that. We, we talked a little bit earlier this week and he just told me just some of the stories about how Jesus has reached some of these people through his workplace because they've put on this church service. There are folks who will come along to this service after their gatherings, after their conventions, who don't normally come to church on a Sunday morning who I, as a lead pastor, may never get to cross paths with, but because of their connection to this organization, and more importantly, because there is somebody at the head of this organization who said, God, I'm available. I want this to be more than a career. I want it to be a ministry, a way that you can use me. Because of that, God is reaching some people 
that may never show up in a church on a Sunday morning. So that doesn't mean you have to go to work tomorrow and stand on the table and, you know, lead your first sermon in front of the office, you know. But just be Jesus in your environment and look for a way to serve him. A great author by the name of A.W. Tozer uh, just wrote some really deep stuff. We're going to read this phrase from him, and we're not going to fully grasp it because it's so deep. But he says, it is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why he or she does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. I don't know if you grasp that, but that idea of no common acts, that's basically saying, God, if, if I choose to look at everything, whether it's serving the table today, whether it's teaching the kindergarten class, whether it's going into surgery, whether, and, and see it not just as sacred or secular, but something that you've sanctified me to do, then there is no such thing as a common act anymore. Everything I do is for you. You see... I don't believe that this message this morning is meant to cause you to change the direction of your life, to say, you know what, my life's been wrong up till now, I'm gonna change everything, I'm gonna do something. Now, he may say that to someone here this morning, but I don't think it's that. I think what God wants to communicate to us this morning is just to um, just have a fresh look at our life. That's what the psalm writers were trying to remind us of, is to, to understand what David said when he said, show me the way of life. Show me the way of life. God, open my eyes and help me understand the purpose I have in life. The role you want me to play to find opportunities wherever I am to shine your light and to share you with others. You know, I think the reason Paul wanted to acknowledge all of those people at the end of his letter to Timothy is because Paul was very aware that the church that we are a part of today would not be here if it wasn't for that team effort. Everyone played a part. Several years ago, I was down in Florida. Uh, my son had a soccer tournament down there, and uh, while we were there, it was April. It wasn't that warm. There was no Floridians on the beach, but I'm from Illinois, so I'm like, we're going to the beach. We're in Florida. It's like 50 degrees, I think, so we went down there. The ocean was freezing, so we decided uh, if we're going to jump in the ocean, we should do it from this pier uh, that was kind of sticking out, so I'm like, I'm going to jump in the ocean from this pier. Now, some of you haven't heard me tell this story before, so um, I don't have time to talk about the, the child that I saved who was being attacked by a shark. So I'll, I'll skip straight past that part to the part where I jumped in and it was a lot shallower than I realized. And when my foot came up out of the water, uh, I think my leg was pointing that way and my, my foot was pointing. I just broke my ankle completely. It was awful. Uh, an ambulance came, picked me up, took me to the hospital in the emergency room. They couldn't pop it back into place. They were all trying. They had to put me under with laughing gas. And then they, I came back around. They're like, no, we still couldn't get it. So now they're kind of worrying because it's swelling up and they can't operate till it's been put back. So um, this, this, they said, there's a surgeon in today. He's a specialist. He just works with ankles and knees, uh, an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, we think he's going to be able to come down to the emergency room. He comes down. He comes to my bed, he's talking to me, he's kind of feeling around my ankle as he's talking, I'm in pain. And just out of the blue, doesn't give me any warning, he just suddenly goes, bop, bop, and just pops it back in place. I was like, ah! <laughs> like instantly, all the pain disappeared. Um, I think, I, it made me the laughing gas. His name was Kent, or Dr. Kent, but I remember saying, I'm gonna call you Clark Kent. You're like Superman. <laughs> you just... <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, he's probably thinking, whatever. But he was amazing. And they were able to operate. The next day, it was he that operated. So after the surgery, he came into the room and he introduced himself. He said, surgery went great. He showed me the x-rays. We put this great titanium in there. He goes, it's American titanium. I don't use any of that Chinese steel. We only use American steel. He was very proud of the work he'd done. And he's telling me all about it. And I left that hospital thinking, I will one day walk again without any problems because of Clark Kent, my surgeon. But here's the thing. It wasn't just him. There was an ambulance driver that took me to the hospital. There were some emergency workers who helped um, get me set up. There was somebody in billing who helped process all the paperwork. I slept on this clean bed because someone in cleaning had changed the sheets that day. Someone cleaned the room before I got in there. I came home and had some wonderful physical therapists here in town who helped me regain some strength in that foot and walk. And there were dozens and dozens of people who played a part in my healing story. Paul is known as the person who established the church. Today, we all know Paul, but he didn't do it alone. Paul couldn't have done it without Priscilla and Aquila and Eubulus and Prudence and the person who ended up bringing him his coat because he was getting cold. God isn't interested in visibility. He wants our availability. And that's how we can fully understand this wonderful life, this gift of life that God has given us. So wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever your your role is here in this world, will you make your life available to him? Let's pray. Father, these mixtapes that we've called the Psalms, Lord, are just fantastic. There's so much rich content in them, Lord, and some of them talk about sorrow and some about anger and some about justice, but what I've noticed as I've been going through this series is that there's common thread throughout all these Psalms of life, this precious gift, and Father, forgive us. Forgive us if we've forgotten just how wonderful this gift of life is that you've given us. What a wonderful opportunity we have. Lord, help us to see our life, however old we are here today, whether we're in our 20s or our 70s, Lord, we still have a great role to play in this life you've given us. So show us this week, Lord. Help us to just, even if it's the only thing we do differently this week, help us to live our lives this week with that that heavenly perspective. God, What would you have me do this week? In my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my community, what would you have me do? Let me see my life through your eyes and how it can be used to bring glory to your name. I pray that we would all pray that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.